0: Hello again, folks. It's Marty Ross, your local Aaron storyteller. Here with what, because of the sheer drama involved, is going to be, in fact, the second last episode of our great drama of The Ballad of the Driftwood Mermaid. Not, in fact, the final episode, as I I think I more than hinted last week. But the truth is, folks, with the climax of this particular story, we've got a lot of... uh, fantastical and sometimes frightening scenes to get through and I don't want to overwhelm you with it all in one go. Sometimes in the telling a a, a story takes on an abundant life of its own and as a storyteller well you just have to go with it. Anyway four previous episodes of intense drama have brought us to this point but all you really need to know to uh, keep up is that our heroine Sarah has been whisked away to the underwater otherworld amid the heaped shipwrecks off the southwestern coast of Scotland, supposedly haunted by both the fairies, the she, and by the ghosts of the sailors, the she lured onto the reefs thereabouts over the centuries. Meanwhile, Sarah's husband, Doug, with the help of old fisherman Pete, well he's determined to get her back. It was as if the sea itself were fighting them. Each wave smacking their oars and the, the side of the rowing boat like a like a white hand in the dark, catching at it, slowing down their progress. Doug rowing backwards, kept looking over his shoulder, that low dark lump of exposed hull hardly seeming to get any closer, however hard they rowed. But then he thought of Sarah. Trapped somewhere in that rusted, rotten and largely submerged hulk And the fight in his own smackings of the water knotted itself tighter Even so he could not help noticing Pete Old Pete sat rowing in the other end of the small boat and facing forward The better to steer them where they needed to be the old man's face creeping closer to bone whiteness with every stroke of his own oars. And Doug did not doubt the old fellow was recalling actual hands, solid at least as a nightmare known bolt awake, catching at him from those same waters. And Doug wondered again what they were rowing towards and what sira had been caught by already. <laughs> the water through which sira swam, downward, 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 hand in hand with Finn, was startlingly cooled at first shock of their plunge, yet swiftly, startlingly, impossibly, though unmistakably, it grew tinglingly, warm against her skin, and though initially she clung to heard breath in her lungs as keenly as any diver averse to drowning, before long a mixture of Impulse and an, an inability to hold that breath any longer. Found her relaxing the clench of mouth and nostril to find herself breathing salt water as easily as she had ever breathed fresh air up above. Meanwhile, the darkness that oil-black, silty murk through which they descended, impenetrable at first to the eye, was swiftly flecked with tiny glowing fish, darting, diving, swirling, iridescent, phosphorescent. Other sea creatures, tiny octopi, jellyfish, bigger wisps of tentacular ripplings shimmering among them, these mingled radiances lending ever sharper definition to the outlines of the great compartment of rusting metal through which they swam, barnacles scaling walls that might once have been floors or ceilings, and away in the further reaches of the half-light. Sarah began to sense other shapes flitting, reaching, entangling one another. Forms like those of other human swimmers, though something in their glimpsed movements and the, the flickering, outsized shadows they cast made them seem stranger of shape and movement than the inhuman swimmers nearby. They were nearing, she could see, another ragged hole in the rusted metal. Just before they reached it, a figure swam up before them, a a man, a man with Short, pale beard and long billowing hair of the same shade. Vaguely young, but somehow giving a deeper sense of being of being more ancient than a rock on the seabed. The clothes that might have pinned him down in time, hanging about his pale form in a seaweed of rags. As he swam closer, Sarah saw that I she had merely taken as shadowed turned out to be gnawed away into raw hollows. Perhaps by the tiny white crabs she could see scuttling about his eyebrows and cheekbones. Yet the look on the face that was left behind was less one of pain or loss than of a joy, wild as the flit of fins and tentacles elsewhere. The figure seemed for all its blindness to reach directly Sarah's way, but before he could come halfway close, Another figure had darted into view between them, this one female and naked, save for the ripple of fins growing along the bones of the forearms and the flesh of the calves, and the gold-green scales visible here and there upon the rest of the skin. A broad wave of red hair streamed behind her head, there were seashells caught in its lengthy curls. Her face was only glimpsed from behind but seemed sleek as the fins, a hint of gills along the lines of the skull. This figure caught the male figure in a tight embrace. The male figure reciprocated and they went floating off in their own locked whirl of delight. Finn swam her on, on through that ragged gap, down into a a deeper depth of dark water, brilliant with the glow of undersea creatures, an increasing number of them in at least some semblance of the human there were hints, also, of the, of the weapons and stored munitions of some long shipwrecked battleship. But these were choked and shrivelled and impotent with barnacles and corals, further mocked by the swirling, ecstatic dances of embracing figures, stranger still than the couple she had seen above the interminglings among these figures, ever more elaborate. And on they swam, down, down, through another tear in another hull, and before long they were swimming through interiors of, of barnacled wood, ever more ancient, the wreckage of relatively modern weaponry, giving way to to Viking carvings, and the faintest survivals of Roman friezes, the great ages of human history passing by as so much driftwood. The figures that flitted past likewise blurred the lines between those she might have taken for the phantoms of the living. Though the last rags of habiliment that might have defined them so hung in the vaguest tatters. And those she assumed to be those others. Finn had told her had haunted the reefs, perhaps before there had been ships to sink and human beings to sail them. The clearest hints of the presence of what he had called the she lay with a sheen of almost serpentine beauty about more and more of the figures. As Finn's webbed fingers clutched her hand tighter, Scylla wondered on which side of that ever vaguer divide Finn's essential nature lay. He turned his head smiled at her through the ever more pellucid waters, and though rippling curls and all it remained the face of the most sleekly handsome of young men. Sarah grew ever more certain the passion they had shared, and were deepening even now, bridged to two radically different modes of being as surely as they swim through each torn hull carried them between vastly different moments of history. And on they went, down, down, past barnacled hollows on either side which must once have been cabins. In this one, Two lovers with skins shining like quicksilver, shifting towards an impassioned kiss. A white eel swam up from the back of the throat of one lover and was gulped down the throat of the other, while on the other side of her she saw a heaving and swearing and receding and rising anew among a great wealth of tiny scarlet crabs, only slowly becoming aware that under this clawed swarm there came and went the outlines of two more or less human bodies buried therein. through the next barnacle-rimmed gap in a rock-ripped hull. Something vaster, deeper still, shone with the brilliance of a treasure chest, but a treasure chest huger, more voluminous than the shipwrecks they had swum through already. The nearer they swam, the more its light hurt her eyes, but she understood now, or was beginning to, how the pain of all those drowned sailors might have been transmuted down here to the sheerest, most endless delight. She let Finn swim her on through the gap. And closer to however much of the drowned ecstasy of those around her she had it in herself to share. Immediately ahead at last, looming from the dark waves, edged in splashes of, of white water, "'Lay that curve of rusted black hull "'on the uppermost of the sunken ships. "'Looking at it over his shoulder, "'Doug felt his his fiercest twinge of uncertainty yet "'over this rescue mission. "'Oh, don't give up the bloody rowing!' barked Pete, "'as if shouting down his own uncertainties as much as Doug's. "'We've come this far!' Uh, yes, yes," said Doug. "Of course we have." He he rode harder than ever. Muscles between his shoulder blades straining. now, careful now, young fella, said Pete, we're almost there, we didn't want to go tearing out our own hull against theirs, now ease up with yon hand there, ease up, ease up, yeah, ease up like that, let's get alongside, nice and tight, there we go, nice and tight. Seconds later, the rowing boat was (coughs) clunking against the rusted hull. Yon's far enough, Aye, aye, far enough, cried Pete. Doug dumped both his oars in the bottom of the boat, felt with a hand along the rough, barnacled metal to hold them steady. So solid and real it felt, nothing to do with any any portal to to impossible other worlds. Was this whole business a a young fool's pursuit of some, some ludicrous fairy tale? A chase after a, a, a mirage cast his way by an old story storytelling. when not there likelier places on dry land for his wife to have vanished? But here they were, and the simplest way to settle the matter was now close within his grasp. Here, here, you'll need this, said Pete, handing him the sturdy torch they had fetched from the old man's shed back in the harbour. Doug no sooner had a grasp upon this than the old man likewise was uh unsheathing and handing him an outsized knife, serrated along one edge and hooked at the end. And here here, take this dainty wee chip a thing likewise, he said. But we damn more use against well the kinds of things I think you might just be up against in there. But go on, go on, you might at least get to here. Uh, Demonstrate your opinion as they show you what a fool you been for coming out here in the first place. Thanks, Pete, said Doug, standing upright in the boat, sliding the knife under his belt as carefully as he could without uh, without jabbing a chunk from his own leg. And have you managed to hurt anything or any of them things with it, said Pete? Well, go on, mention who gave you the loan of that thing. Tell them it's payback for all the bad memories they left me with. I'll drop a hint, said Doug. Um, now, uh, how exactly do I. Up there! Up there, look, man! Look, look, look! Yes, no, see! Up there, yes, yes, there! Eleven o'clock! Right up there by the edge of yon curve in the hull! You see it? You see it? Yeah! Great bloody hole, the reefs tore clean through! The what's below there, well. I wouldn't like to guess. Uh, uh, and you? Well, I'll sit here like I tell you, said Pete. Sit here a wee while at least. Fifteen minutes, let's say. That's fifteen minutes of nothing too freakish doesn't he happen between noon and then. And if that time's up, and you're no back, well... Well, it's been nice knowing you, young fella. But I'm rowing him, and you and your bird, well... Well, you're swimming him. That's if you get back out there at all. On which subject? Well, go on. On you go. Make the most of the time left, you. What like them high-heed philosophers always say. On you go. Up there, up there. Yes, up you go. Doug nodded. Licked from boat to rusted iron hull. What with the constant batterings of seawater and lashings of salt spray. The short metal slope was a slippier than he had guessed and he, he, he slid to hands and knees a couple of times with a, a clang and a cry having to, to dig his nails into the, into the grain of the corroded metal to, 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 to save himself from, from sliding into the water below. So corroded by the salt was the metal that as he, he climbed onward, it, it seemed at several points to, to, to undulate so thinly he, he worried it might break entirely beneath him, but soon he, he, he reached the edge of the great ragged gash torn long ago through the hull. Sinking to, to one knee at its edge here, uh, he switched on the torch. And shone it through. The beam fixed on a band of black water, rippling a short way below against rusted walls. It looked no great distance to leap. though he had no idea how deep the water might be. He, he drew the knife clean of his belt rather than rather than impale himself on landing. Drew a deep breath, thanked God for the, or thanked Pete, rather, for the the sturdy pair of Wellington boots Pete had loaned him from his shed back in the harbour. And then, and then, well, he, uh, he leapt, leapt down through the gap, (coughs) leapt and Splashed into icy water, his feet hitting a metal surface not far below the recoil sending him falling backward into the water and swiftly scrambling upright again to find himself <sighs> to find himself in a in a lengthy passageway broad but with its ceiling curving low and its floor flooded knee-deep. Except that plainly the surface on which he stood had once been a wall, and the walls to either side of him once the actual floor and ceiling. Thanking Peter once again for the use of the wellies, she shuddered in his soaked clothes, shone his torch beam this way and that, and called for Sarah. Sarah? His voice echoed, emptily, about the hollowed interior. Sarah? Sarah? A sharp splash came from somewhere behind. He swung the torch beam around. It caught on some white glint of a figure in the instant it disappeared. Around a corner in the passageway. S- Sarah, he called again. Sarah, is that you? Receiving no reply but further echoes and the sound of water lapping against the rusted walls. Yet he was certain he had seen something and that therefore he was not alone out there. He he waded on, on in the direction in which that other figure had vanished. Sarah could see as they swam downward through that next gap that they had left behind and above the heaped shipwrecks on the reef, and had descended into some great cavern within the rock of the reefs below. It blazed with the light of a riot of phosphorescent corals and barnacles and polyps upon its rough rock walls, and with the glow of a great swirling orgy of embracing interlocking swimmers, she and spectres shoring this way and that about the dazzling chasm. The dense and radiant kelp forest lining the cavern's foot far below Hinting at a further wilderness of entanglements between the spirits of the dead and the passions of those who had never lived as any mortal lives, but who had lived their own kind of life for as long as the sea had rolled. Finn swam her on through the thick of this. The trysting figures before them, drifting aside to let them swim on. On towards the far wall of the cavern. This, the most radiant part of the cavern yet seen. The crustaceans and corals clinging to the rock, shimmering through a restless rainbow of hues golds and scarlets and greens and blues and every colour between and beyond. And suspended halfway up the wall, its back fixed, glued there by the encrustations of barnacles around it, was a great wooden chair like a throne some relic seized, no doubt, of one of the ancient wrecks heaped above. And on that throne, in emerald robes of finely spun seaweed that fluttered and floated all around, brilliant seashells bedded in the weave, sat a woman of a beauty so brilliant. It hurt Sarah's eyes to gaze upon her. Yet the most startling thing about the figure, past the welcoming extension of its long and slender arms and fingers, past the roiling of its endlessly black curls bedecked with further seashells, past even the sharkishly sharp smile and the eyes, deep green as the sea itself, was that there was something in the lineaments of that face smooth as sea quartz to make Sarah feel as if she were looking in some mirror, or not at any commonplace image of herself, but but at an impossibly perfected image of of another Sarah. Another, very different Sarah, sunk deep in her own soul. Until now, at least. And as that throned figure urged her, with kelpish curlings of green-nailed fingers to come closer, closer, to join her there. Sarah knew for a fact that all this this beauty, this wonderment, wild and infinite as the seas themselves was was beauty too sharp and wounding for someone fragile and flawed and finitely human as herself, better to, to, to live and die in a breath or two up on the bare dry earth than, than drown forever in this awful brilliance. She, she she pulled free of Finn's grasp too swiftly for him to see the move coming, Then then, then rapidly turned about and began swimming back the way she had come away still cleared by all those other embracing swimmers who remained locked and lost in their endless delight ahead above she could see the opening that led up through the wrecked ships above she felt Finn's webbed fingers catch at her ankle she looked around kicked her other heel hard into his face a blood more like black squid ink than red human bleeding, shot from his mouth and nostrils, and she pulled herself free and swam up, up through that gap above, up into the rotting hull of the the lowermost of the wrecked ships, high above, past layer upon layer of rended hull. She reckoned she she glimpsed the hatchway to take her back into the upper air but it was so high above and she dreaded to think how easily that spell which had seen her able to, to, to breathe down here in the deep might be rescinded. Which was all the more reason to swim, swim, upward, upward, as fast, as fast as she could. Sarah! Sarah! Sarah, is that you? Sarah! Doug splashed and sloshed his running steps through the water in the passageway, pursuing the fleeting figure which kept flitting clear of his torch beam at every turn of the rusting labyrinth. "'Sarah! Sarah, is that you? It's me, Doug! Sarah!' He reached a set of stairs laid on their side by the whole ships being laid so, and he eased his way around them into what would once have been the corridor above, but now lay adjacent. No sooner was he in this fresh stretch of passageway that his torch being fixed on, on a figure standing with its back to him against a blank bulkhead just ahead, like a naughty schoolchild asked to stand in a corner. The figure was naked, womanly, a wealth of damp black hair hanging down its pallid back. It looked indeed past the the restless shadows from his, uh, his nervous grasp on the torch and the reflected glints of that light off the water flooding the passageway like like Sarah? 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 Is that you? He splashed forward. The figure seemed not to move past a series of tiny shudderings. Such as might speak of, of, of shock, of trauma, such as he was steering himself to, to, to have to deal with in a, in a rescued Sarah. Drawing near, he... Slowed his advance. The knife back in his belt, he was free to extend the other hand to the figure's lightly heaving shoulder. Sarah? 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 <laughs> <gasps> the figure spun about. It wasn't Sarah. It wasn't there in the white glare from a from a torch dropped in surprise human at all. the front of it exposed now, boasting a wealth of writhing tentacles where a woman's torso might have been expected a great snapping beak instead of a face! The tentacles snaked their way around Doug, pulling him closer to that flourished bite. He fought against this, losing his footing, dragging the creature down along with him. So both splashed into the water, rolling about as they fought. Doug struggling to get a, a hold on the knife, even as another and another tentacle wrapped itself around him, the beak of the thing shrieked upward from the water. Sarah swam on, 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 up through one wrecked ship after another. The figures floating either side of her had been slow to react, so so sunk were they in their silent passions, but slowly and then more swiftly, Like bees in a hive, signalled by their queen, they, they broke apart, began swimming, swimming, swimming after her, trying to catch, catch, catch at the kick of her feet. She swam upward, upward into the next of the wooden wrecks. Close by, on the upper side of the torn hull, lay a, a mound of, of rusting chain. Looking down at her multiplying pursuer she she grabbed a loose end of the chain, trying to drag it towards the hole and dump it on those below. But the great tangle was far too heavy for her, her desperate tugs to shift. She gave one last hopeless tug ahead of swimming on. This just enough to to, to, to unsettle something in the long, rotted wood just underneath. The section of hull underneath the chain cracked away, dropping the iron mass onto the swimming figures nearest below, scattering them momentarily. Sarah swam on upward through the intricacies of the ship's wooden interior. Overhanging one nearby edge, she saw what she took at first for some cankered dinosaur bone, but then realised was a, an ancient broadsword. Its blade all crusted with barnacles. She, she, she grabbed it as she swam on upward, up through another gap, into the metallic interior of the, of the sunken warship. She was no sooner among the corroded implements of war, than a figure was, colliding with her, driving her side-long through the water, looking round she saw it was the ghostly wreck of a sailor, with his eyes dug out by the claws of the crabs scuttling all over his face. Even without eyes, he groped at her with a blind, sneering expertise. She tried to use the sword against him, but he was too close against her for her to make any kind of swing or stroke with it. She took to to, 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 to smacking the hilt hard against his skull, but he only broadened his grin. Little black fish swimming out from between his yellowed teeth, as if his deathly body were filled with them. She felt below the hand of another of the creatures. Seizing her ankle and in a fit of disgust at being so captured, she drove as much of the side of the sword blade as she could against the back of her upper attacker's skull. The long barnacled and rusted blade broke away, leaving her with just just a hilt. A hilt and a jagged little scrap of the blade immediately beyond. Her attacker grinned still wider more fish escaping him his long gnawed lips shifting forward for a kiss she drove the jagged remnant of the blade hard into the side of the dead man's neck blood black as oil belched out and the figure shuddered back allowing her to kick free of her attacker below and continue swimming up up towards the hull of the next ship which she knew to be the uppermost one, the the one with the hatch through which she might at least reach the upper air. But suddenly, suddenly she could not breathe the water as she had been doing thus far. Suddenly, suddenly I see salt water was flooding, throat and nostrils and lungs, her, her head Clouding, her vision darkening, her limbs threatening to to freeze with panic. But there, there, so close above, the faint, faint shimmer of the hatch. Drowning, she fought on, on, towards it. it. Dug knife in hand stabbed and stabbed and stabbed at the writhing creature splashing around beneath him. Even as it fastened or smacked yet more tentacles about him. A chilly slime spurted up about him, which he took for blood. But it was black as squid ink. He, he, He stabbed and hacked until he was soaked in it, head to foot, and the tentacles were sliding off him. The creature settling in the water, its last squeal... (coughs) becoming a gurgle. And then at last, at last, a silence... (sighs) Doug stood dark slime and seawater dripping and streaming off him his own breath only slowly being recaptured Sarah Resurfaced through the hatch, grabbing at its metal rim and dragging, wrenching the rest of herself up through it, escaping the hand she felt clutching at her below, rolling away across the metal floor as she hacked and heaved up a mess of swallowed and inhaled seawater, <coughs> flopping onto her back to ache and cough down some air to take its place, but only for a second. With a clang, 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 she looked sidelong to see several hands reaching through the hatch, dragging up the figures below. She forced herself up onto her feet, stumbled, slid away towards a, towards a horizontal hatchway just ahead, clambering through it and dropping into the knee-deep water in the passageway on the other side. Even as she did so, she heard Finn calling after her in the chamber behind. Sarah, my love, you know now where your home is. Your only home. Come back, Sarah. Come back here. Back here with me. Come back here where you belong. Kiss the sea. Breathe the sea. Be the sea." But then, somewhere ahead she heard another voice Calling, echoing a a voice even more familiar. Sarah! Sarah! Doug. She waded swiftly forward through the chilly water. So folks. Our final cliffhanger, I promise this time. Which way will it go? Which of our two male leads will finally, definitively get a hold of our heroine Sarah? Will it be supernatural Finn? Or very mortal? And very vulnerable Doug? Come back here. Same time next week. And I'll tell you. Meanwhile, folks, thank you for listening.